AA really is as individual as a person's thumbprint. All of our stories are similar, but completely unique. All of our recoveries are similar, but completely unique. What worked for me uh, done exactly step by step would probably not work for anybody. But there are things I've learned that can be helpful to others. There are things you've learned that can be helpful to me. And we get this idea of what AA is as as sort of a one-size-fits-all thing. And it just, I've never seen that AA anywhere. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. I'm Alice, an alcoholic in Durham, North Carolina. Alice, how are you? I'm good. It's been a minute since I saw you. Yeah, absolutely. You've been hiding from me. Well, you know, it's easy to do when I'm on the other side of the continent. (laughs) It is true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that I get in my email every day, and I've started looking at it on the Grapevine app as well, is the daily quote. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the daily quote. And I've got a couple of people in my network that send me quotes. There's a thought of the day out of the UK that just mind provoking soul stirring questions. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I've got one here that was uh, kind of interesting. And it's one of those things that's kind of the basic information about going to an AA meeting. It's the Grapevine Daily quote from December 31st. If you want to stop drinking, AA doesn't care whether you are a Christian, a Buddhist, a Jew, an atheist, an agnostic, or whatever. The door to AA is wide. Come right in. Mm-hmm. That's a really important thing because uh, spiritual, not religious, is the phrase that's so often used in our rooms. I don't have to be religious. Essentially, what that means to me I don't have to believe anything anyone tells me to believe yeah. or might tell me to believe. You know, you can come in and not be Christian and think that Alcoholics Anonymous is a Christian program. And it is not. It is not a religious program. And so this welcome that we provide for people, whether they believe something different or they don't believe at all, I think is critical to having the door as wide open as it needs to be. I think that's the the key thing right there, having the door as wide open as it needs to be. And every chance we get, I think opening that door wider is what to do. Uh, Be as welcoming as we possibly can. And there is, you know, what is it? Uh, There's a, there's a, uh, well, I'm just going to go with there's a hammer for every nut. Uh, (laughs) I can't think of the quote now. But, you know, there's a wrench for every nut. That's what it is. There's a lid for every pot. There are so many different people and beliefs and ways of thinking that I've experienced in AA. And, you know, some of them I don't agree with, Mm -hmm. but they're my fellow AAs. Mm -hmm. And we have fantastic conversations. Mm -hmm. Those things don't get in the way. The people who at this stage are most attractive to me, are most interesting to me, are people who are seekers, that are exploring different ideas, that are turning things over, that are challenging themselves and me about beliefs. Like, that's the spiritual path at this point. And I really, I wish for everybody that they get there soon and they stay long. Love that. 
Folks, we need you to write or call in with questions for a new type of segment for the podcast, A Newcomer Asks. I love that. So listeners, we are asking you to please send us the questions that you asked as a newcomer or send us questions that you've been asked by newcomers. Sam, who's our guest today? Well, Alice, today we welcome Joe C. from Toronto, Canada. Hey, Don, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcasts. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. Wait, what? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on Store or Subscribe in the new Grapevine app. My name is Joe. I'm an alcoholic, a happy customer of the Beyond Belief Agnostics and Freethinkers AA group in Toronto, Canada. Got sober since disco. Let's just go that way. <laughs> I've never time. heard anyone say that. I love that. Sober since disco. That's great. <laughs> I'm surprised that your group is not Rebellion Dogs. You know, that is a group name used. The, the term Rebellion Dogs some of the listeners are looking it up right now. It's uh, <laughs> chapter seven in the 12 and 12. Rebellion dogs are every step at first. And just as Alice talked about how important seeking is, I think rebellion is something that is good to foster to a certain degree, not um, disagreement, but a cer certain amount of critical approach. I always want to be seeking. I always want to be questioning. Mm -hmm. I don't even get as embarrassed being wrong as I used to be. Mm, yeah. It happens a lot. Right? <laughs> so your group is one of the uh, the agnostic uh, atheist free thinkers groups, correct? Yeah. Since 2009, uh, the first one was in Chicago in 1975, the first known one. That's you know, a, a crime of AA historians is saying the first, because eventually you'll be found out that no, before that, such right. and such, you know. <laughs> and, you know, you were talking at the outset about AA is wide open. And what is AA? Is AA our preamble? Is AA the first meeting someone ever goes to and they judge all of AA by that? AA is is not McDonald's restaurants. AA is like Ma and Pa shops. It's food everywhere, but everyone has a different atmosphere. Everyone has a different menu. Everyone has a, like, there isn't a prescribed right way or wrong way to do AA. And Rebellion Dogs is the name of my, all of my sort of music and prose writing is done through Rebellion Dogs. But the idea came to me from an AA band I was in in the 80s. The mother of my son uh, was our lead singer. I played guitar and our sponsees filled out drums, keyboards, bass, right? <laughs> you know, back then it was, do you sponsor people? Sure. What instrument do you play? Show up mm -hmm. at rehearsal, right? You know, 
because people need something to do when they get sober. The creative genius of our band, which was called Sober Skid Row, uh, was Kathy. And she had a, a song she wrote called Rebellion Dogs about these dogs that would bark and wake her up. They growled at her door. And when she tried to leave the house, you know, they would be chomping at her feet. And what I loved about it being a word person is she turned the verb into a noun and the noun into a verb. And I thought that was awesome. Rebellion dogs. Mm -hmm. This is a band of actual alcoholics that are in Alcoholics Anonymous. All in recovery. Absolutely. There's bound to be some differences in the uh, atheist, agnostic, and free thinkers uh, groups than the typical, I, I, and I'm probably messing up there saying typical. Right. As if there were. But other AA <laughs> Right. Uh, well, just as there is nothing forbidden and nothing sacred, there is nothing that people cannot do in an AA meeting and nothing that every group must do. When I'm chairing my home group, I like to say at the beginning, our format is secular. The people who are here all have different beliefs, oh. and we hope that everyone can feel free to express their belief candidly uh, without fear of dissuasion or persuasion. But you won't find any prayer or sort of religious language in the formal part of the meeting. But have at it when we get to the discussion part of it. So I first was a member of a, a Yahoo group. It was called Freethinkers AA Yahoo group. And I learned of a worldwide list from the New York agnostics group of all of the international atheist agnostic meetings. And man, there were dozens of them. And now there's, there, there's over 100 a day on Zoom. And I don't think AA is religious, but I think some groups are more, let's just say, friendly to a theistic point of view mm -hmm. and other groups where you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who typically believes in a prayer answering, sobriety granting, supernatural kind of higher power, and whether it's a secular AA group or not. So I don't think all free thinkers don't believe in God, and I don't believe all dogmatic people do believe in God, right? They're humanist. Like, I don't like the word atheist because it refers to what someone doesn't believe. Mm -hmm. Everyone in AA believes that without some form of help, they have been unable to find recovery uh, in AA or outside. But uh, whether that's the power of example, uh, one alcoholic talking to another, the group, the program, some sort of secular idea of what higher power is, whether they use the word higher power or not. Everyone believes in something. My experience would be whether or not there is a supernatural force that is anonymously working in my recovery or not, which I've had no experience of. The fellowship of AA has been a power greater than myself mm -hmm. and, and what I've learned here. The part that I love about this, Joe, is the paradox of it. Yeah. 
first, I want to acknowledge that part of what you said goes back to our fourth tradition, right? Which is each group is autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. So your group can be structured however you want. It is up to the conscience of the group, which really Alcoholics Anonymous says God as expressed in, right? But even if we take that out, there is a power in the group. And the paradox is, I hear you saying the maturity we have, whether we have a religious belief or not, provides space for us to allow other people to choose their own path. And the paradox is, I've got to believe in order to give you space to believe. Absolutely. I mean, Jim Burr was an infamous yes. uh, non-believer. Um, yes. Marty M. Uh, didn't know if AA would work for her because she wasn't a religious person and didn't have a, a belief in the supernatural. And when I first came to AA, nobody asked me what I believed or or suggested what I needed to believe. Uh, they gave me the 20 questions in the little yellow pamphlet that uh, was in Montreal AA where I got sober. And uh, it had this just for today things of simple little things I could read. I was a big fan of living sober. It's a very sort mm-hmm. of common sense, practical approach to AA recovery. And uh, I found what I needed. The literature help. You've mentioned, uh, do you think you're different? That's a pamphlet that arrived in AA sometime between my first meeting when I was 14 years old and when I first got sober uh, when I was 16. It had a story of another teenager. It had an atheist and agnostic and plenty of other people who thought there was some barrier how AA works for y'all, but it wasn't going to work for them. And they explained whatever their workaround was for that. That was very helpful to me. But, you know, if AA had no literature, AA would work. To me, uh, hope is something that doesn't come from me doing the work. Hope is contagious. I catch it from other alcoholics. Absolutely. I came here hopeless. I didn't think I had the integrity to stay sober. And you thought I could. And I caught that hope from the people in the AA meeting. Joe, did you say that you got here at 14 and you came to stay at 16 years old? Yeah. What was going on then? You know, when I first came to AA, I didn't think I could stay here. I mean, I understand this one day at a time thing, but do you have any idea how many New Year's Eves you're asking me to give up? For you, it's just a couple dozen because you're 30. (laughs) (laughs) Old people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But when I was a teenager, I I needed young people who showed me how to party sober, right? Right. That we Mm -hmm. could dance sober, that we could still play music, that other people were talking about getting back into their bands and, uh, you know, going back to school and whitewater rafting and mountain climbing and, you know, watching the game together sober, right? You know, like that, I I needed that. I needed that sort of community. And I found that in young people. So that was my first sort of special composition group that it's like a language thing. Like if you spoke Lithuanian and I couldn't understand it, you could tell me everything you knew about AA, only so much would get through. Uh, But someone my age is going to be able to talk about a life in recovery and how AA works for them in a way that someone twice my age, just with all the sincerity in the world, they still can't do, can they? 
Yeah. There are two things you said I want to ask you to to connect and say more about. One is you said that this is a thing of hope that we get from one another. That's the thing that's contagious, right? That's the thing that makes me feel like I belong. And then you talked about coming in and needing something different because you were in a special special right. composition group. I'm imagining you've had experience with YPAWs. And for people yeah. who are listening that have never been to a YPAW, will you talk about what happens at a young people in AA meeting? That's what YPAW stands for and how hope feels in that space. Yeah. Again, you need to hear the AA message in your own language and hearing other people struggling with school or even struggling in AA with people who are trying to be kind, but just don't understand you're so lucky to get here at your young age, right? (laughs) Like, and the young person is thinking, you're so lucky to have gotten to party for another 40 years, right? You know, or uh, you're scarcely more than a potential alcoholic. Mm. I had friends dying of alcoholism. If that's not old enough to be a full-fledged alcoholic and dead, you know, what is? So, you know, they're trying to say something comforting and, you know, they just don't have the shared experience because maybe they didn't start drinking till they got to college. But I was almost kicked out of high school. The thing about going to young people in AA conferences is I think no matter how old you are, There's a level of enthusiasm and hope and excitement about being in recovery that is absolutely contagious. You know, sometimes it can get to the point of sort of, I wouldn't call it sort of toxic positivity, but group talk, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like, like, it's important for someone to be able to sort of stand on the outside, the introvert to be able to not join in and all the chant and uh, response sort of stuff and feel like they're still included in the group that uh, belonging and believing aren't connected, participating and belonging aren't connected, that, that you're a member if you say you're a member, but a lot can be learned. And I know that at the Toronto young people's conference, our delegate would come to all of our events. Uh, he didn't identify as a young person, but he was there to learn, not to tell us the way, but to just see how they're doing it. That, I think, is one of the most important things. Yes, it's important that we have these opportunities for us to gather together when we share an additional characteristic, like being mm-hmm. LGBTQ or young mm-hmm. or or women or men or secular or or black. Mm, yeah. Yes. All these different. But one of the things that I absolutely love, and that is the cross-pollination. Yes. I did not come to AA as a young person, but young mm-hmm. people fully welcomed me and I have learned yes. so much from them. Yes. What's been your experience with the cross-pollination? Well, the International Conference of Secular AA, for instance, there were plenty of people who came from what some would call mainstream AA. <laughs> You know, but, you know, like whatever that is, right? You know, and they were there just because they have an unshakable faith in a supernatural higher power and its influence on their sobriety. But they know that their message of hope isn't resonating with the people coming in. And they just want to hear how people 
with a, a more practical worldview navigate AA? How do they go through the big book or do they leave that out completely? How do they work those steps or do they leave them out and move on to the next one, right? They, they were there to learn. You know, you couldn't tell looking at the room. If you're at a BIPOC meeting, it's obvious who's an ally and who's a member, right? But if, if you're at a secular meeting, you wouldn't know who right. believes in a supernatural higher power and who does not. I mean, this is such an interesting, rich, juicy area of discussion. This notion of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is a big enough tent for all of us to join, but we don't have to conform. Hmm. And this can get tricky for people when you understand the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. Joe, I really appreciate you saying like, you know, Marty May and Jim, Jim Burr, apparently they were like, Jim so didn't believe in God that they were like, could the dude just please drink, man, because we need him <laughs> to find God, right? Like in, in the people who are believers, right, however we want to define that, can sometimes rail against the people who they think are non-believers, right? But all of us believe something. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Hank Park was not a God guy like Jim wasn't. No. And so this isn't new to AA. What's your experience with being a part of the larger Alcoholics Anonymous Although yeah. you are not conforming to what people think Alcoholics Anonymous ought to be. Well, we just did our 2022 uh, membership survey. And I, I love that stuff because it not only is it a snapshot of what an AA meeting is, but you can measure them against others and, and look at trends. In the United Kingdom, the Great Britain AA General Service Conference they asked, do you believe in a higher power? And of those who do, they asked, is your belief in a higher power religious or is it secular? And two-thirds of the people who hold a higher power belief said it was secular. Mm -hmm. So for them, it was, and I don't know what they meant by that, but I'm assuming it's the program or it's the fellowship or it's a higher purpose it's something they wouldn't need a supernatural force to be able to tap into. We found we tapped an unsuspected inner resource mm -hmm. is how Bill Wilson understood it when he went from having dozens of examples when he wrote the big book to having thousands of examples when the second printing was being done. So that's a, a much wider swath. He was learning from new people's experiences Absolutely. and how they navigated mm -hmm. AA. Yeah. We forget that Bill was four and a half years sober when he wrote the book. <laughs> when he finished it. When he finished it, that's right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a gay man. I'm, an, I'm also an atheist. You know, these are not things that I include in every share in a meeting, right. mm -hmm. but I do not hold back on sharing these things when it's part of what needs to be said at the moment uh, or what I'm being led to say. Uh, so that other people who are not yet comfortable doing that can find that comfort in seeing other people like them yeah. in the rooms. Especially if it's a sort of minority opinion or an underrepresented population type of experience, then it's important to sort of speak up. Yeah. Whatever your worldview is, it's your relationship with alcohol that brought you here. Mm. And it's our relationship with alcohol that we're going to share with you. All of that other stuff, what your politics are, what your worldview is, 
what your sexual orientation is. And none of that is going to help or hinder a recovery in AA. So beautifully put, Joe. Mm-hmm. What does recovery look like for you today? What's a typical week in your recovery world? When I'm talking to people, I, I volunteer at a, a local treatment center in aftercare. I'm very much aware that when people are going into recovery, no one no one wants what I have. No one is signing up for the multiple <laughs> decade plan. No one wants you know, to sign up for the lifelong membership in AA. Yeah. They just want to get the heat off, figure things out. I say, look, if I'm driving my car from my place to your place, so I'm traveling, I'm crossing a border and crossing many states, I'm going to have, you know, a sense of mastery as I get to Arizona when I'm almost there, but I'm still the same distance away from the ditch. You know, I still have to be mindful. I still have to be present. If I'm too tired to drive, I have to stop driving. Like, I can't be complacent about it. I have all these skills and I have all this knowledge but I still have to do the right things in the right order and get a little bit lucky that I don't get like broadsided by a truck or something. Mm-hmm. I That's, love you know, that. Very good. Yeah. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic getting to so chat with you. Talking to you. Thanks for doing your part in bringing AA into the 21st century. This is a great podcast. Keep it going. <laughs> It's time for listener feedback. Hey, folks, we want to hear your comments. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. Hey, Don, Alice, we've got listener feedback from Penny P. Woohoo! <laughs> Penny writes, the subject is types of meetings. The Fox Hall meeting actually originated in Washington, D.C. at a church that used to be at Fox Hall Road Northwest at Reservoir Road Northwest. The meeting met twice a week, and there were different formats for the meetings. Monday night had a table-style meeting, similar to what is found in the Detroit area. More on that below. On Thursday nights, the Washington, D.C. Fox Hall meeting was a speaker meeting and birthday meeting. There were a couple of people that got sober at Washington, D.C. Fox Hall, Dick and Peg M., that moved to Bellevue, Nebraska in the early 1980s and started a meeting there and called it the Fox Hall Group. Hmm. People who have gotten sober at the Nebraska Group or one of the other offshoots have started other Fox Hall meetings around the country, actually around the world. Many times the format does not follow the format of the Nebraska meeting. It's just to recognize the meeting where the meeting founder got sober. Interesting. Hmm. Well, it is really interesting. It was. It sounds like it's like where a meeting where you have a an old timer that dominates the meeting and it becomes known as their meeting, like in in our. Oh, area. is that why this is Don's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. Touché. Did I say that out loud? I'm going to yeah. put you in the waiting room <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that I don't I don't see that in here. What I see is. It, people have a really warm, fond place for this location mm-hmm. where they initially got sober. And even when they moved away, they still called it by the name of the place they originally got sober. 
And that as they got people sober, those people then got this fondness for that place. And I I love that. Alice, you are being much more generous than I was being. I like that a lot. Yeah. Love and tolerance is our code, Dodd. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Penny goes on to say another style of meeting that some of us have come across during the pandemic is an interview style meeting. Rather than someone speaking and telling their story, they are actually interviewed. Often we get to hear parts of someone's story that they don't normally talk about, depending on how well the interviewer knows them. Mm-hmm. There's a Tuesday online meeting at noon on the West Coast called Interview with a Lady Lush. I love that. Um, There's also a Saturday night interview style meeting uh, out of Southern California. Mm -hmm. These interview style meetings. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Yeah. There's a meeting called interview with an alcoholic that I became aware of at the beginning of the pandemic, like an online meeting that they have a real interview format, like a talk show interview format. Wow. And it really is a completely different way to share your experience, strength, and hope. Because it's not a regular pitch. Well, Don, you were a guest on one of those, weren't you? Well, it wasn't a meeting. It was a, I guess it was a recorded meeting, but it, but it was really more of like a podcast, like what oh, we okay. do here, interviewing someone. But I recently spoke at a meeting in which they had questions afterwards. I spoke for like 30 minutes and then they asked questions. Mm-hmm. Talk about crosstalk. Wow. It was a crosstalk I meeting. love <laughs> Q&A at a meeting. I feel like it opens the speaker up to a different level of vulnerability and, mm-hmm. and it invites the new person in to really feel comfortable asking questions about, you know, what's your spiritual practice or you know, when you got here or do you, you know, go to conferences or whatever. How did you like the question answer period, Don? Well, I liked it. And like Penny said, that it went to different places than I would have gone. Penny goes on to write, there's a table style meeting out of the Detroit area I mentioned above. There may be several different tables set up in a room. Each table has its own discussion style meeting. Men's meeting, women's meeting, newcomers meeting, grapevine meeting, traditions meeting, step study, book study. All of these are available within the same room, all meeting at the same time. It's quite interesting to attend these meetings. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I'm thinking is that I would have a hard time in that situation if those tables were too close because I might zone out on the table that I'm sitting at because the one next to me is like sounding more interesting. (laughs) That's called ear hustling. (laughs) (laughs) love it many people get distracted by things that are not at their table (laughs) (laughs) i love knowing that thank you (laughs) so you've been to one i have i've been to meetings that are set up like that and the challenge i had you know sam it's interesting to hear you say like I would get distracted. For me, the hard part was deciding which table to go sit at. Really? In the meetings that I went to, there was a a table for newcomers, and then there were all these topics. And so I just went to the newcomer table. Sounds like there maybe needs to be a FOMO table, fear of missing out table. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Penny goes on to close with, I do an online meeting that is kind of a riff on the interview style meeting on the last Tuesday of the month called Conversation with a Longtimer. All of the long timers have 50 or more years of sobriety. We don't talk much about their drinking, but it's fun to talk with them about their early sobriety. Yeah. Penny P, thank you so much for writing all of this in. That meeting sounds like uh, 
that could be really interesting or a major snooze fest. (laughs) I think probably really, really interesting. (laughs) I agree. Because, well, let me say what I got to There she goes, being generous again. Yeah, always generous, right? Hey, we needed someone on the podcast who was generous, Don. (laughs) Don? Okay. So the thing that is interesting to me about this, thank you, Penny, is when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was confused about what what we used to call an old timer, right? We now are, we call them long timers. But I was like, oh, that's somebody with two years. Oh, that's somebody with five years. Oh, that's somebody with 10 years. And I'm at 36 years sober, considered an old timer or a long timer. But these people have 50 years. Like That must be an incredible meeting. People Mm -hmm. who got sober in the 50s. The 40s, I guess, even. Yeah. And I'd be curious to to attend it and to hear what shows up in their shares and their interviews. Mm -hmm. But I think I would probably love it even more to sit down over coffee with them and just see where our conversation goes. Yeah. You can't help but be interested in the history of AA after you've been sober longer. And to talk to someone with 50 years and hear what AA was like 50 years ago would be interesting. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't often talk about it, but the truth is that the study of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is very prevalent in meetings that are particularly online, didn't come into vogue until the 70s, the mid 70s with Joe and Charlie. And so if you've been Mm. sober 50 years, you probably got to Alcoholics Anonymous before there were a lot of big book studies. I never heard that before. Didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Joe and Charlie brought the study of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous into the mainstream. There were not a lot of, none that that people really can point to, studies of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you think about it, it makes sense, right? The people who wrote the book didn't study the book. And the people who they sponsored didn't study the book. And maybe the people that they sponsored didn't study the book. And so by the time you get to the fourth generation of people, they begin to to pick the book up and study the book. Well, that's interesting. And also add to it that, you know, you're you're looking at 30 some years after the publishing of the book that that started happening. And the language had already changed at that point, not nearly as much as it has sent from then to now. but, But still, you know, that was where having someone to help you break down this text was incredibly useful. That's right. Good. Interesting. Penny, thanks so much for writing in. Thank you, Penny. We have an email from Aaron H. Hi there. Thanks for the newest podcast. You guys mentioned my favorite line from all of AA literature. It's tattooed on my left arm. Here it is. And He's got a photograph of, he's holding his left arm out, and on the forearm, that's the thigh. That, well, you don't call it a thigh on the arm. You don't it's call it a thigh forearm. on the arm. It's the, the forearm. It's, it's the his, for, okay. his inside forearm. On the inside forearm, <laughs> he has written in a, and I would say, um, kind of a gothic font, Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I love you, Aaron, not only for the email that you sent us, but the evidence. Thank you for the photo. And thank you for sharing your love of this line. It is true. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. 
What does that mean to you guys? Well, you know what I think of immediately is that happens to be the line I know from the plain and simple language <laughs> translation of the big book, the translation in that new book that's going to be printed that will be an additional piece of literature is... Being a drama queen doesn't work. Begging these people to stop never helps. Oh, that, that works too. Um, <laughs> but you know, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices has such a beautiful sound to it. It does. You know, Bill was really a wordsmith. And uh, at the beginning of the process, neither him nor his co-author, uh, Hank Parkhurst, were you know, good writers. They were not published writers. Thanks, terrible. But when, when you get into it, there's some beautiful lines. You're right, Sam. This is among them. It's poetry. It is indeed. What would you put on your arm? Turn to God. I don't even know. Out come the carpet slippers in a bottle. I don't know. I, mean, I love the carpet slipper dude. <laughs> Everybody knows the carpet slipper dude's my boyfriend. <laughs> I just love him. I haven't gotten a tattoo of a uh, line of text from the big book, but when I was down in Buenos Aires for several weeks and went to a meeting and just had such a fantastic experience down there, one particular meeting, a, a fella had come back. He closed the meeting with reading the keys of the kingdom. Oh. And I have a key, a very ornate key that was to the rooftop terrace of the place that I was staying that is tattooed on my uh, inner upper left arm. I am not going to get a tattoo, but if I were to get a tattoo, I'd like a tattoo from the big book, but I think maybe just a period. Just a period. <laughs> okay. And for emphasis, it will be an italic period. An italic period? <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, thanks so much for writing in. Thanks, Aaron. Thank and you, Don, Aaron. you having an italic period is perfect because you are a little <laughs> lopsided. <laughs> What are the grapevine's most popular books? Emotional Sobriety 1 and 2. Both are filled with experiences by sober AA members, many with long-term sobriety, about the positive transformations we can achieve by practicing the principles of the program in all aspects of our lives. The stories show how the rewards are serenity, emotional balance, and an increased joy for living. Visit aagrapevine.org books. As the police officer helped the bruised and battered imbiber up from the pavement in front of the bar, she asked, Can you describe the man that hit you? Sure. That's just what I'd finished doing when he hit me. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Search AA Grapevine in the App Store on your phone or find AA Grapevine on Instagram and YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, search online for Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. That was freaking amazing. (laughs) 